The reading tonight is from Philippians chapter 1, and it's on page 1178. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. 
This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, it's really special um, to be preaching on my final Sunday on the staff team here. I feel really blessed to, um, to be doing that. People have been making the joke all week that maybe I'll finally say all that I've really been thinking this whole time. Um, but hopefully I won't offend any of you. And actually, I hope that we'll all just come to this passage ready to be encouraged and ready to hear the challenge that, that it has for us. Um, if any of you feel like you want to be brave and move in, in this, and come to some of these front seats, that would be really nice. It's much more fun when I can actually see your faces, um, but don't worry if not. But if you feel like it, now's, now's a good time. Um, I wonder if you've ever had a situation where something seems like it's going wrong, where something seems like it's turned out really badly, but then it turns out that it's a good situation. Yes, thanks so much, guys. That's really great. Um, yay, fans. I love it. Yeah, I wonder if you've ever had a situation where you feel like things are going wrong, but it actually turns out for the good. Um, as you know, Jake and I are moving, and at the moment we're trying to buy our first home, which is really exciting, but I'm sure if any of you have ever bought a house, you know it can be really stressful. It comes with its ups and its downs. And just recently we thought we'd found this dream house. We thought we'd found this really, really lovely house, and it was in the countryside. We love the countryside. It was really peaceful. It was just, you know, you could hear the birds singing in the morning, I imagine. And it was just a really lovely setting. And we thought we were going to have this house. We put in an offer. Everything was going really well. And then it turned out that um, there were some complications. Things got a bit tricky with the person selling it, and it fell through. And we were really gutted. We thought, oh, that felt like the house for us. It had felt really special. We'd loved the peaceful countryside that it was in. But we found out not long afterwards that the guy who lived next door, unbeknownst to us, was actually planning on building a house in his garden in the next few years, essentially meaning we'd have been living next to a building site for a few years, totally ruining, ruining the beautiful countryside setting that we'd been dreaming of. So we thought something had gone really wrong, but it actually turned out for the best. It turned out for good. And Paul's kind of talking about something like this at the beginning of the passage we read. If you want to have a look down at those first few verses that we, um, that we just read, he's writing to the church in Philippi. Paul is in prison. And we get the impression that the church in Philippi have started to get a bit stressed that Paul's in prison. It's like they're getting a bit concerned because they think that the gospel is no longer on the move, that because Paul is in chains, the gospel has stopped being spread. They think it's really, really terrible. But Paul says, you've got it all wrong. He says, you've misunderstood. I'm in chains. I'm suffering. But the gospel is advancing. My chains have brought about good because other people have grown more confident. Other people have felt that they could share the good news of Jesus. So instead of it just being me, there's a whole host of people sharing the good news Paul's suffering, his trials, the things that he's going through that feel really bad, they actually turn out to be for the good. 
And I think the reason he's talking about this and what we can learn from this is that we believe in a God of redemption. And what I mean by that is a God who takes the things that are meant for evil, the things that have been meant for harm, and he turns them for our good. The Bible says that over and over again, that our God is a redeemer. He's a God who takes what's meant for evil, takes what's meant for harm, and he can turn it for our good, for the good of the people who love him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And that is the resounding sound all throughout the Bible, all through the stories of many, many characters in the Bible, that God takes their circumstances, their suffering, their difficulties. They have suffering. They have difficulties. But God takes it and he turns it for their good. And there's so many examples of this. I mean, isn't that the gospel message? Isn't that the gospel message that salvation is God redeeming our messy and broken situations? But the example that really comes to my mind is the example of Joseph. You might know him because of his technicolor dream coat. But I'm sure some of you know the story, his story in the Bible really well as well. And his story is full of suffering. His brothers are pretty evil. They mean harm for him. And his story has trial after trial. He comes up against so many difficult things. But at the end of the story, at the end of Genesis, if you have a look, his brothers come to him and they say, oh, we're so sorry. Look what we've done. We've made such a mess. Everything's broken. Look what's happened. And Joseph says, you have misunderstood. Just like Paul says to the Philippians. He says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. What you intended to harm me, God intended for good. And I think that is such a message of hope for us. That although we suffer, although we go through really hard things, God intends it for good. That God can break through our suffering. That he can weave paths of grace and goodness and light. That in the darkness, God is at work to bring about our good but I think something that we often get wrong is when we go through suffering, we start to blame God. We start to say, God, how could you do this to me? God, how could you do this to me? I, I know lots of Christians who say that, who say, God, how could you do this to me? Or I know loads of Christians who in the face of suffering sit back and say, oh, well, it must be God's plan. How many times have you heard Christians say that? And I'm not saying that God doesn't have a plan for us, but it's my firm conviction that God does not mean to harm us, that God does not mean to harm us, that those of us who are following him, he does not mean to harm, that although we go through hard things, if we blame God or if we become complacent and say it's just God's plan, then we've misunderstood his nature, we've misunderstood his goodness and his grace. And if we think that we just have to sit back and and take it as God's plan, then we've misunderstood our part to play, the hope that we can have, the part to play of our prayers. We've misunderstood because there are other powers at work in this world. There is an enemy who means to harm us. And that, I'm not saying that to make us all feel terrible. I'm saying that because it's true. And in our suffering, we shouldn't blame God. In fact, we should look to God for hope because he's the God of redemption. And that's what Paul does. Paul is in chains. He's in prison. More suffering than I can imagine. And he says, God is, God is redeeming this. 
God is at work. God is doing good things. And I want to tell you a little bit about my family, um, because my family has been an example of redemption for years and years, and I hope will continue to be. Um, But when I was about nine years old, my parents decided to separate, and a few years later, they got a divorce. And just before that, my dad had lost his faith. He'd walked away from church, life had got really hard, and he just decided that he didn't want anything to do with Christianity anymore. He just walked away. And um, when they got divorced, it was messy, it was really hard. I'm sure lots of you might have experienced or know about the, the heartbreak and the brokenness that comes from the breakup of a marriage. And it was really hard. And I spent most of my teenage years feeling very bitter, feeling like, why could you do this to me, God? How could you let this happen? My family will never be the same again. It was really hard. But I'm now 23, and when I look back... I realized that God was weaving paths of redemption all through those years. I now have a loving stepmom and a loving stepdad. If you count those with my in-laws, I've got six parents. I'm incredibly blessed. It means triple the Christmas presents. But jokes aside, I am so blessed. They're so caring. They're so supportive. And that's not me saying it was a good thing for my parents to break up. That's me saying that God weaves paths of redemption through our brokenness and our mess and our heartbreak. God can use the bad for good. And not only do I now have all of these parents, these lovely, lovely parents, my dad found his faith again through getting remarried. And he's now one of the most devoted Christians that I know. He loves God. And that, for me, is a story of redemption in my life. And I hope that God's going to keep making stories of redemption, keep writing stories of redemption in my family and in your families and in your lives. It's a beautiful, beautiful hope that God says where things have gone wrong, where there's brokenness and mess and shame and difficulty, I want to write a better story. That's what God says. I want to write a better story. I want to work for your good. If you love Jesus in this room, God wants to work for your good, for your growth, for your progress. He does not long to harm you, but he longs to create stories of redemption in your life and in mine. Romans 8.28 is my favorite verse in the Bible. It says, and we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. I love that, that God works for our good. Paul gets it in the Bible. Paul gets it, this beautiful story, this beautiful story of a God of grace and redemption and goodness. And all through the New Testament, you can tell that Paul is absolutely in love with this Jesus, this God who is the Redeemer. Isn't that true? All through his letters, all through Philippians that we've been looking at, you can see that, God is, that Paul sorry, is so in love with God. And he even says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He thinks that dying would be better than being alive because he'd get to be with his Jesus, this Jesus that he loves. I find that so challenging. I love being alive. There's hard bits, but I love being alive. Can't, I find that so hard to think that he says dying would be better. In fact, so much so that he even, in the passage we read, he has a little debate, doesn't he? He starts saying, oh, well, I could stay alive and I could keep doing all this work, but I could die and I could go to be with Jesus and that would be heavenly. He says that would actually be way better. But, he says, he wants to continue living. He says to live is Christ. 
He believes that Christ and Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, purpose to his existence. And I think for Paul, being alive means being God's servant, getting to be God's messenger, getting to work with him, getting to partner with God. He gets to be a part of God's story of redemption on the earth. And he loves that. He says to live is Christ. He loves that work so much so that he says he's going to stay. And I think that we too are called to partner in this. That the redemptive work of God is not just something that God is kind of high up in the sky doing. That he's just bringing redemption in our lives. I'm not, maybe not the sky bit, but I think it's true that he is bringing redemption in our lives. But I think he's also asking us and calling us, like he did Paul, to be a part of it to get involved. And there's a couple of ways that I think we're called to to partner in this redemptive work. Firstly, Paul talks about ways that we can partner with God. If you have a look at verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he talks about the prayers of the Philippians. And we've made prayer really important here at Christchurch over this last season of vacancy. It's on our board outside. You know, we keep talking about prayer, talking about prayer. But I keep wondering, are we actually doing it? Are we actually praying? When I come to a prayer meeting and there's like 30 people here in a church of this size, I can't help but think, are we doing it? Do we believe that it works? Do we really believe that it works? Because I can't help but think, if we really believed, and this is a challenge to myself too, if we really believed in the power of prayer, that prayer is a way we can be part of redemption, surely we would spend so much more time on our knees. And that's a challenge for me too. Surely if we believed it, we would be doing it more. There'd be more than 30 people at a prayer meeting each week. And, and George has challenged us on this loads of times. And usually when he challenges us, the next prayer meeting is full. There's loads of people. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> but then the next one and the next one and the next one, until the next challenge comes, there's still only 30 of us. And I know we're busy. I know our lives are full. But actually, if we believe that it's a way we can be part of the redemption, surely we want to do it. Surely it's worth it. God says you can be part of this story. You can play a role. You can, you can partner with me in prayer. And you know, there's so many ways I'd love to change the world, but I just can't because of circumstance. Like last year, I went to Uganda a few times. It was amazing. I saw so many things out there that were just made me want to change the world, made me want to bring about change. But actually, I live here and I'm called to things here. But I can pray because I know the God personally who can bring change there. I'm his friend. I can talk to him whenever I like. That's what prayer is about. It's being able to partner with God for the places that we can't reach with our hands and our bodies. Prayer is partnering with God in the redemption of the earth. And we get to do it. Surely, if we believed in its power, we would do it far more. And the other thing Paul mentions in that verse that I just read is the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he, he basically just recognizes that he can't do anything on his own, that things won't turn out for his deliverance unless he is filled with the Holy Spirit and unless the church praying for him too are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But again, I can't help but wonder, do we know the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we believe it? Because I think some of us think we can be filled with the Holy Spirit one time when we become a Christian and then just kind of float around for the rest of our lives. But the disciples in Acts, we see them filled with the Holy Spirit and then a little bit later they get filled again and a little bit later they get filled again because they know it has to be a regular, a regular thing where they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, when was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit? Some of you might have been at New Wine this week and you might say yesterday. That's amazing. But for some of us, it might be 30 years. It might be never. But if we want to be part of the redemption of the earth, we must be filled with the Spirit. We cannot do it in our own strength. We have to be filled with God's Spirit because that's what gives us power. That's what helps us to partner with him. That's what gives us all that we need, the strength, the wisdom, the discernment to be part of this story of redemption. So a little bit later, we're going to invite you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So just be thinking now, is that me? And let's face it, it's all of us, isn't it? We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's true. We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying it's really important. This is how we can partner with God. There's an amazing example of this partnering in redemption happening right here in Winchester. Most of you have probably heard of the street pastors. They go out into Winchester to find people who've been on nights out, who've been drinking, who might be in situations where they're vulnerable, and they go and help them. They bring light into a really dark place, what can be a dark place. They, They bring help and safety and security to people that are vulnerable. And for me, that's a perfect example of partnering with God in redemption because they do it through prayer, they do it by being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they go out into the world and they help to redeem things. Do they change the course of history every time they go out? No, probably not. But do they make a small difference in the redemption of the earth? Yes, absolutely, every time they bring light where there's darkness. And that's not just for some people to do, that's for all of us to do. Wherever we are, whatever our circumstances are, we're all called to be part of this redemption story. And a little bit later on, Paul talks about another kind of partnering. He talks about how we can partner with other people. So if you have a look at verse 25, he's been having this debate about whether he might live or whether it would be better just to go and be with Jesus now. He's done a really good stint. He's done some great things on the earth. But he says in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. For your progress and your joy in the faith. He decides to stay because he wants to continue partnering with the Philippians for their progress and for their joy. Can you imagine a world where every single day We all wake up and we think, today I exist for the progress and the joy of other people. Can you imagine a world like that? If you're married here, imagine waking up every morning and you and your spouse both think, today I exist for the progress and the joy of the other person. Can you imagine what your marriage would look like? Can you imagine if you thought that about your children, about your work colleagues, about your friends, about your, your, whoever you go to school with? If every day you thought, I exist for your progress and for your joy. 
Because if we could do that, I think that's a way we could partner with other people in redemption, in seeing the world redeemed. If we could work for the progress and the joy of other people. I honestly, I'm not even sure I can imagine that kind of world. But I imagine it would be really beautiful one where we serve other people every single day, not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of them. But Paul says in all of these things, in all of this hoping about redemption and all of this trying to partner with God and with other people, he says it's going to be difficult. In verse 22, he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. That word labor means struggle. It means hardship. It means hard work and trials. It means difficulty. He knows that being a part of this story is difficult. It's not like we start partnering with God in redemption and everything gets easy. It seems like from Paul's life, everything gets a bit harder, actually. But the labor he talks about is fruitful labor. He says it's fruitful. He says good things will come. Good things will come as a result of our labor. And we live in an instant world, don't we? Instant communication, instant knowledge, instant food. But you can't make fruit instantly. You can't grow fruit instantly. Fruit requires digging a hole and planting a tree and nurturing it and watching it until something grows. And Paul talks about fruit because he knows and has experienced that this kind of labor, it takes a long time. It takes work and patience and perseverance. But he says there will be fruit and it will be worth it. And above all, all of this, over everything, we believe in a God of redemption. A God who does not leave us to suffer. A God who does not leave us alone. A God who takes our circumstances and writes this beautiful new story of grace and goodness and light. And the hope of the gospel is not that everything in our lives would be God's will. That's not the hope of the gospel. I think it's that despite everything, God would bring about good. Because we are going to suffer and there will be things that come into our lives that are the work of the enemy, of dark forces in this world But God says he wants to bring about good through the suffering we go through because of partnering in the gospel, because of suffering we go through just because of other things, because of dark things in this world. God says, I want to write a better story. I want to use this for good. And so many of you in this room probably have stories of redemption, stories where things have gone wrong, but God has swept in. God has come in and used it for good. But I'm sure there's lots of you in this room who feel like, even if you've seen that before, it just feels really far away now. I know there's situations in my own life where it feels like I'm longing for God to bring some good. I'm longing to see that redemption. I'm longing to be at that further point, like 20 years down the line, where I can look back and see all that he's done, but I'm not there yet. And I'm longing to see it come. And I'm sure there's so many of you in the room who feel like that. Like, when, God, are you going to bring good? When are you going to redeem? And I'd love it this evening if we could pray for you. Because sometimes we need to be praying with other people in order to have that hope, that encouragement that God will redeem. Because we can hope, but also our prayers are effective. 
our prayers work. God says, you can partner with me in this. So if you have something in your life where you feel like you've just kind of reached despair, you can't see God redeeming it, then we would love to pray for you. Pray that you would have hope, but pray also that God would do something, that God would redeem it, that God would bring about good, believing that our prayers are effective. But we'd also just really love to pray for the Holy Spirit to come this evening. If you resonated with what I said about it being a long time since you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then don't leave it a bit longer. So often we do that, don't we? We kind of, we're in church and something resonates with us and we think, oh, maybe next time I'll go and pray with somebody. But that's not good enough. What if there is no next time? God's here today. He wants to work in our lives today. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit today. We can be filled with his Spirit today. So we would love to invite you to receive from him tonight, whether you received from him yesterday or 30 years ago or never. We would love to invite you to be filled with the Holy Spirit.